0: Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Orper, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is Dr. Gazole Samandari, who has spent the last 15 years researching and advocating for women's health and rights around the world. She now works as an integral development coach. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. It's so good to be here. It's so good to be here, and it's uh, so good to have a... I I look forward to periodically saying things like, I, of course, uh, defer to my learned colleague, the doctor's judgments.
1: (laughs) Yes, please do. I am ready for all the questions.
0: I am so glad to hear that. So uh, (laughs) the first one, I don't know uh, if it will necessarily bring up your particular expertise, although I I suppose it's possible that you have been able to use census information for some of your work in the past, but... um, I'm excited about this first letter. I have never gotten a letter quite like it, and uh, yeah. I, I like the idea of someone having a really strong opinion about the census. Would um, would you be so good as to read it for us?
1: I would love to. Yes. Okay. So the subject is: I'm anti-census, and my friend signed up to be a census worker. How can I not be a judgy bitch? Dear Prudence, I'm against the census for a variety of reasons. I think the questions are too personal and overreaching. It's clearly not confidential. Japanese internment camps, etc., and the government already has all the information they need to count the population of my house anyways. I've politely and firmly turned away census workers. I tell them to bring on the fine when I've been threatened with prosecution for refusal. I've been harassed by rude workers, and it's hard for me not to judge them for taking this kind of, quote, job. I know they believe they're doing a civil service for the better good, but I think they're brainwashed, stupid, lazy, power hungry, or all four. Also, remember BTK? Yikes. I know my personal opinion on census workers is unpopular. Now, one of my closest friends has signed up to be a census taker. She did it purely for the money. She's still in orientation, and she was shocked that I was shocked she would take that kind of job. We have air quotes here again. We agree to disagree and not discuss it. While I love her to pieces, I would never describe her as, quote, hardworking or very smart. I love her for her art, her creativity, her supportive nature, her music, and her personality. But then it's really not surprising she'd take this kind of low-end job because she's always been a job hopper, which I've never judged her for in the past, but now feeds into my resentment that she's a, quote, simple sheep who is getting paid to harass people and dig into their private lives. Besides biting my tongue, how can I keep my perspective on our friendship? Dissent is patriotic, but I feel like a judgy bitch. I'm not a bad person. I just believe in privacy.
0: So lots, lots here. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I do just wanna like the, the BTK <laughs> reference. I I had to go look this up. It's not like he was a census worker his whole life. Like he was briefly associated with the census. I don't know that we can pin. Like, his horrible murders on the census.
1: I know. You know, it's actually funny you mentioned my expertise on this question because, yeah, I do actually have experience um, with demographics, which is Mm -hmm. what, you know, basically the census is. But I'm also, like, an avid true crime fan. So the BTK part, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. You should be more worried that he was an ADT security guy and a dog catcher. Like, that's way more dangerous than being a census guy. Like, he's (laughs) roaming the neighborhoods looking at security stuff so i think what this says to me is this person has strong but perhaps really unreasonable feelings about the census
0: are you getting that Uh, yeah some of them uh, like made sense to me um especially like again like that concern about um their friends uh who who don't have some of the documents that they feel like uh would i don't know what the phrase i'm looking for is like that would make them feel more secure like um yeah I'm trying to think of a phrase that doesn't kind of like capitulate to like cop language, but I'm I'm coming up dry at the moment, so we'll just leave that to the side. But I I, I do understand the concerns about people who can potentially be harmed uh, by the census, but I, I also I don't think it's like a a, a near and present danger. Like mm-hmm. I, I I think it this to me doesn't quite rise to the level of like my friend wants to become a cop or work for ICE. Like how how can I like. That, to me, would feel like, yeah, you really got to draw a line here um and and throw all your weight behind trying to convince them not to follow that path, yeah, whereas at least for me, the census feels a little bit like, share your objections, ask some questions at a certain point, decide my friend knows that I don't approve of this. This might fall under a category of agree to disagree,
1: yeah, which they already have done. So to me, the fact that she's this heated, Um, about the she, he, or they. Sorry, I made an assumption there. Um, This person is so heated about the issue, to me, speaks more to what's happening within their friendship rather than the census. And and for the record, I do feel, as someone who did spend, like, many years working on population-level data, that the census, yeah, I agree with you completely, It's It's a tricky time for our country right now, and the census has been politicized and you know, it's being perverted in a way that it wasn't intended to be. But ultimately, the point of the census is civil participation. And it's used to draw our district lines and to make sure that we're all represented accurately um, in our government. But on top of that, it's also used to allocate federal funding. It's used for business information. It's used for all manner of things that run our country and make it functional for everyone in theory. So um, it is – it is important to be careful, but I also think it's not fair to, like, demonize the census this broadly. It's it's really not what it's about. But, you know, there's a lot of language in this letter that, to me, just speaks to this underlying, like, anger and judgment that this individual has um, for their friend. And that's the part that's really fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, I didn't quite buy the thing about, like— uh I I never used to, um, like, look down on her for yeah, right. being kind of, like, quote-unquote lazy. But it just feels like I think you've judged her for it a lot in the past. Yeah. And now that this has come up, like, it, it just kind of comes, like, the language about, like, I think everyone who works for the census is brainwashed, stupid, lazy, power-hungry. Yeah. Um, I think she's a simple sheep. I need to bite my tongue. Like, it feels very intense. so I, I would really separate like you know if 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 you want to ask her about like how would she deal with the possibility that like the citizen question might be like forcibly brought back to the census and would there be ways in which she would potentially be putting people as, in harm's way by asking that question? that feels legitimate to me. Yeah. but the whole like, I think you just took this job because you're stupid and lazy. <laughs> I, that's a friendship ends ending kind of a statement, I think.
1: You know, and and I love this line about she did it purely for the money. Well, I'm not sure how many people take jobs for something other than money. And I think that's totally respectable to to take any kind of job to support yourself. That's There's sort of like an air of, um, I don't know if I want to say classism, but some of the language is kind of like, Perhaps the letter writer has some kind of other vocation they think is more valuable, and they're looking down on people that do kind of gig work, which seems kind of unfair to me. Um, And especially if you're talking about your friend and would never describe them as hardworking or very smart, it makes me wonder what kind of real love you have for that person, you know?
0: Yeah, like I love her creativity and her music. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would encourage you to, to be a little bit more generous towards this friend of yours. Um, I, I, I'm not suggesting that you have to suddenly like like or be really open minded about the census. If you want to keep turning people away, that is absolutely fine. Um, if you want to ask your que- your friend specific questions about like specific present concerns, not like how are you personally going to make up for like World War II era abuses, but but like how would you deal with this particular issue if you were faced with it? I, I think that's okay. I think that's a healthy, robust, challenging kind of conversation to have. But at a certain point, um, if she if she says I, I I don't plan on like dragging anyone out of their home, I don't plan on reporting anyone to any sort of government agency for like if I see them I don't know smoking weed I'm not going to call the cops like mm-hmm. a- and then you kind of can accept that what she is doing is part of a complicated service that has done some harm and done some good and some things in between. At a certain point, I, I would say. She has taken this job. I have registered my objections. Uh I, I can't fight about this with her for the rest of her life.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And clearly there is some appreciation here in their friendship for the the kinds of areas where they do have the overlap. And so you're right. I think they should just put a put a pin in this one and move on with their friendship. But I would encourage the letter writer to maybe dig a bit deeper. And wonder a little bit about why they would react so strongly and use such um, powerful negative language about someone that they choose to call a friend.
0: Yeah, I I think kind of my last thought here would just be I would uh, ground my objections uh, in as specific terms as I could. Um, And I would avoid any objections that have to do with like what you think of your friend's employability or commitment to different kinds of work um, or simplicity, because I just think if you start this conversation on the terms of like, I think you're too dumb to understand what you're doing or you're simply power hungry and evil. Uh, You will lose the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with your friend Um, because you also can still just have grounds to say, like, I disagree or I think this is not a good choice. Like, you don't have to then pretend you like the idea. I just think that um, there are ways to bring up your objections that don't um, uh, immediately kind of dismiss her. So have that conversation state the specific objections you can kind of go back and say like I realize that you were surprised that I was surprised you would take this job I would love to share with you some of my thoughts here I have a couple of questions for you I also respect that it is your decision to make um and and once we have had this conversation I'm I'm not going to um like follow you around um are you available for that conversation? And, and hopefully she is. Um, and, and I don't want to come down too hard on you because, I, I again, I understand that the concerns that you have have to do with, you know, um, uh, people's ability to, like, live their lives unharassed. And there's certainly uh, reasons to be concerned about people um, uh, being, like, investigated such that they can be, like, ferreted out and, and harassed or harmed by other government agencies. I do get that. But... Um, I, I don't think that the work she is signing up to do right now is at quite the level of, um, like, full fire alarm. Full yeah. five alarm fire, whatever yeah. the expression is.
1: <laughs> yeah, no no alarms. Minor
0: alarms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. Um, uh, by the way, I loved the little asterisks at the end of, like, oh, the okay. government hasn't fined anyone since 1970, by the way, and not everyone was required <laughs> to be counted. So, like, I also, like, I think you're aware on some level that this is not the strongest arm of the government, right? Right, right. Like, right. the census isn't the one that's, like, hauling people away or or finding people. Um, power hungry, I think, is a real stretch because the kind of power that a census worker has, aside from the BTK guy, um, oh, right. <laughs> is limited.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's great yeah. advice. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: advocate for your particular point of view up to a certain point and then, you know, uh, hope that your friend takes some of these questions to heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next one is uh, just so sad and it's from somebody younger than I often um, print letters from. And so I- I'm trying to think about like, what what is this kind of advice that I can give somebody in middle school who's in a position where their options are, are a little bit more limited, but... um I'll I'll go ahead and get us started on this one. The subject is, I'm terrified of making new friends at my middle school, and I keep skipping lunch. Dear Prudence, I'm a teen who moved to the U.S. from India a year ago. My family is financially stable, and we live in a wealthy suburb. My parents are very loving and understanding. I really should have nothing to complain about, but I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for a year now. I know it helps to make friends in a new school, but it's also different. I'm not able to let anyone get close to me. I'm so worried I'll be dumped by any friends I do make. I just have no idea what to do. I'm so lonely and upset all the time, but I try to hide it. There's nobody at school I can talk to about it among my, quote, friends. Last year, I had a solid friend group who I sat with at lunch. But towards the end of the year, I started feeling like they didn't actually want to hang out with me and were laughing at me behind my back. I'm so scared to sit alone at lunch that I just hide in the library and starve myself. The only time I actually have lunch is on the weekends, at home with my family. What can I do? I'm so scared of ending up alone. I'm still in middle school. I can't talk to anybody about it without being judged. My family is supportive of me, but I can't bring myself to tell my mom that I've been throwing away her lunch every day. Please help me. I'm terrified of what I've come to now. Social interactions have always been hard, but this is something too huge for me to deal with by myself.
1: Oh, yeah. This one's Mm -hmm. just really heartbreaking. You can feel... I can just feel the combination of terror... Loneliness, fear, everything that's going on in this letter writer. And at a time that is tricky for even the best equipped, you know, middle school is probably some of the hardest time in your life. You're adolescent, uh, hormones are going crazy. You're coming into your own in a way that you have never before. And it's, you know, it's a really complex time. But to add to that, moving to the U.S. from a foreign country, Trying to make friends in a new environment, and then having these sort of underlying tendencies towards anxiety, I, I'm really feeling compassion for this person here.
0: Yeah, that's just heartbreaking. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I want to tackle this on a couple of different levels. Like the first thing that I would say is, if if nothing else, like if you listen to this and you just think, I can't talk to anybody about this, I won't do it. Um, if the only thing that changes is that you start like bringing a granola bar or a protein bar or a bag of nuts or something that you can eat like fairly neatly in the library. I know food's usually not allowed in the library, but like even as you walk to the library, like just some kind of portable, um, tidy snack so that you are eating something in the middle of the day, please start doing that. Like uh, hopefully you can talk to your mom about the lunch thing and, and, and figure out a better solution there. But like, again, if nothing else, Please, like, grab something out of a vending machine that you can eat in the hallway just so you have something to eat in the middle of the day. Because I think going every day without lunch cannot help your, like, energy levels or or sense of just, like, okay, I have kind of, like, a foundation right. uh, to kind of, like, make it through class.
1: Yeah. Danny, I love that your instinct, the very first instinct you have was to care for this person's immediate well-being.
0: You got to eat. You know, you get like, you got to, are you, are you hungry is like the most loving sentence. Have you eaten? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to like f- make anybody feel like they're doing anything wrong, but like, yeah, I just, I want you to be able to get something to eat in the middle of the day.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's going to kind of put a baseline foundation for them to be able to do anything else they need to do that day. Because certainly on an empty stomach, whatever you're feeling
0: feels a thousand times worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also understand, like, I remember that age and I understand the degree to which, like, even if somebody had really encouraged me to talk to somebody about it, I might not have chosen to take that advice because that's an age where often you feel very, very self-conscious. Yeah. And so I always want to try to have at least one version of advice that's like, okay, if you don't take any of my other advice, here's like a uh, – what's the expression? Like a a harm reduction strategy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really good. But I wonder – you know, there's a lot coming through in this letter about uh, what seems to be the bond between the letter writer and their family. It sounds like Mm -hmm. there's a really strong support network right there in the home. Um, And while they talk about being scared about, you know, discussing throwing away the lunch, um, nothing is really said about hesitation to actually talk about the feelings with their family. So I wonder if that, is a possibility for the letter writer if they could just verbalize their anxiety to somebody that they trust and um, that they're close to already. You know, because it's very difficult to come into a new environment and try to be making friends and all of this and then suddenly put all of your quote baggage that's not the term that I mean like we all have our Mm -hmm. feelings but I can see how that would be difficult to do in a new environment but it sounds like their family is a real touchstone for them so I wonder if there would be a possibility to communicate some of these feelings right there at home
0: yeah I, I, I felt that too like I think I would have felt more concern if they had described their parents as like closed off or judgmental but you say that they're really loving and understanding and so I would Encourage you to share some version of this with them. Um, I I know that you say, I can't bring myself to tell my mom that I've been throwing away her lunch every day. I get that. And so maybe one thing that will be helpful um, is to figure out what's a version of this that I do feel comfortable sharing with my mom, knowing that you always have the ability to tell her more later, or even if you just decide, like, I want to let her know what's going on lately, but I'm worried that if I tell her everything, she will be too panicked. I get that. I I hear you. And so if you can see your way towards telling your mom, you know, this has only been going on for the last couple of weeks, that's a possibility. Or, Or you can even just, again, without saying either I have or haven't been throwing my lunch away, just share like lately I've been having a hard time. Um, eating in the middle of the day because I feel really anxious. I'm not sure that I can trust the people that I used to be friends with. And I, I I just like I feel really alone and and I need somebody to know about that. And if part of you is also worried that like if I tell my parents any version of this, they will immediately go into fixing mode mm. and they will try to intervene in a way that will make me feel more like everyone sees me as different or or thinks of me as like a kid who calls in their parents to like fix their life. Uh, when something goes wrong, you know, I, I would encourage you to say, like, I'm really hoping that you can give me advice or emotional support. But right now, at least, like, I, I don't want you to intervene more strongly. And, and hopefully they would listen to that. Does that make sense? I, I understand that, again, in middle school, you don't have so much control. Like, if your parents still decide, like, no, we are going to talk to such and such a person, it's not like you can say, like, yeah, well, as a fellow adult, I disagree. But I think there's a, a way you can clue them in a little bit if you're worried that if I say I've been throwing my lunch away all year, they might flip out.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, you make a good point about this kind of um, call to action that parents might feel if you tell them anything. And that, that can be scary, right, when you're in middle school and you're trying to, like, create your own identity and be – your own person and be responsible sometimes you want to be able to kind of handle your business that's a really important part of growing up so I wonder the other thing I wonder about is um, I don't know anything about what the school systems are like in India but I do know that or I can make a guess that in a wealthy suburb in the U.S. that this school is probably equipped with some support as well, like a school guidance counselor or a nurse or somebody within the school system whose job it is purely to be there as an advocate for the student and to do so in a very kind of neutral and supportive way and confidential way, which sounds like it's a, another really key point for this person as they're struggling. So that would be another thing that I, I would wonder if they would feel comfortable engaging with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be an option too, especially because nothing that you mentioned, again, if you're worried about like flagging stuff around throwing your lunch away. I, I also understand if you don't necessarily want to bring up that detail with the counselor right away, but if you just want to talk about, I'm afraid to sit alone at lunch, this is where I go during lunch uh, every day, and, and I feel really stressed out about it, they can offer you help that wouldn't necessarily be like, hit the adult intervention button. And I think too, like even if there are like maybe clubs that meet in various classrooms during lunch, or even if the, the counselor is just somebody who, like, you know, you can talk to for a few minutes during lunch yourself, um, that, that might be helpful. Um, I, I feel a little bit, you know, I don't know what happened with your friends that made you feel like they didn't actually like being around you or that they were making fun of you behind your back. I, I want to encourage you to share that with someone else just because I don't know any of the details. And I think it's both extremely possible that you picked up on a very, very real dynamic. And it's also possible that you are being really hard on yourself or or that potentially other people, maybe not all of these folks, but somebody else does want to be your friend. And you're so worried about the possibility that they might be laughing at you that you're isolating yourself more than um more than you need to. so I, I want to be careful because I don't want to suggest like either you must be mistaken. I'm sure they all like you or yes, the library the library is the safest place in the world to be. I think that's another reason to consider talking um, to your family a little bit about that and and even just if you have a sense of like did anything happen? did anyone say anything? do you do you have a sense that, There's anybody else who also sits alone at lunch sometimes or close to alone who might potentially um, provide like a welcoming or a low key place to sit during lunch. I I would want you to be able to feel like you had other options, Um, even up to and including switching schools if you felt like you needed to. Um, I just mostly want you to feel like you've got a lot of options and people you can talk about this with.
1: Absolutely. And I also want to say that, um, you know, the line that really struck me in this letter was where they talk about struggling with depression and anxiety for a year now. So it sounds to me like this person has some awareness of maybe what a baseline healthy mental wellness might feel like, and they don't feel like they've been there for quite some time now. And middle school, adolescent times is a time where we do start to experience Um, sometimes kind of mental illness, and I know there's a lot of stigma around that, but this person already demonstrates the ability to identify. They have the language for it, and at least with us, they feel courageous enough to share that. So, um, you know, I'd feel remiss if I didn't at least say as, you know, a public health person that if you do feel like there's something kind of beyond your means here that's happening to you, that it's worth getting worth looking into that cuz there's no need sometimes to to struggle if there's if there's um support that can help you with these feelings. Yeah. And yeah,
0: I just I hope that you write back. I would love to hear how any version of this conversation goes if any of that sounds achievable to you. Um mostly just I think the thing that I would want to say more than anything else than any one individual act I hope that you take is that when you're dealing with depression and anxiety on yourself, there will be a voice in your head that will say, the best thing for you to do is to handle this on your own. Uh, either other people wouldn't be able to help you or they wouldn't want to help you. So asking for help or telling other people about what you're experiencing would only reinforce how alone you really are. And that's not the voice of truth. That's the voice of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. which is trying to warp mm-hmm. reality and um, And so that voice inside your head that says the best thing, the safest thing, the most protective thing, the wisest thing I can do is just deal with this alone for who knows how long. Um, And I I just want to kind of name that as like that is the voice of depression and anxiety. That's not – what's actually true because you do have people in your life who love you and who want to be there for you Um, and it does feel better to be known than to suffer by yourself even if that doesn't mean things get better right away or even quickly Um, simply knowing there are other people who know what my interior emotional experience is like on a regular basis feels a lot better than that sense of like i am a balloon floating away and no one can tell yeah that's so beautifully put danny yeah Mm. Yeah, I just you know I feel for this kid. That's just such an yeah. awful position. I wish. Um, I, I hope you get to eat lunch with somebody really, really soon. And yeah. if, you know, just as a start, I hope you get yourself a protein bar soon. Let me know if you have questions about recommendations because I have a lot of different brands. That I <laughs> All right. I I do think we should move on. So if my friend the learned doctor would consider reading the next letter, I'd sure appreciate
1: it. (laughs) Okay. I'll put on my learned doctor voice for this one. Um, This one I'm actually pretty excited about. I find it really interesting. So the subject is, my husband had an affair with a woman who is now working in our office. What should I do? Dear Prudence, I've been with my husband for 25 years, and for the last six years, we've worked for the same company, in the same division, and even on the same floor. It's actually worked out really well, except for one thing. Five years ago, he came home with a hickey on his neck. I soon found out that he'd been having a year-long affair with a woman from one of the other offices. It was a really ugly time for us. He told me he wasn't sure he loved me, and he wasn't as attracted to me. It took him six months to say, I love you again. It was horrible, but we eventually worked through it. The last four years have actually been some of the best years of our marriage. We stopped taking each other for granted. I just found out that this other woman is moving to our office. Our paths are going to cross, and we might even have to work together. I know I'm displacing my anger, which should be directed at my husband, who treated me horribly when the news came out. I know she didn't even know me. I know I'm being unreasonable but I'm really angry that she is invading my, quote, home again, albeit my work home. What do I do when our physical paths cross? Yeah, Mm -hmm. this one is really complicated, but I feel like I'm curious to know why this person feels that they're being unreasonable. I actually think they have every reason to feel the feelings that they're feeling, even though they've been through this patch, rough patch, they did the work and their marriage is stable again. Um, Right off the bat, I just want to validate that having gone through something traumatic and coming out on the other side doesn't mean that you're not entitled to feel feelings about it still. So that's the first thing I want to say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think too. Yeah. Sometimes there's a sense now of like, as an overcorrection to like, oh, my husband cheated on me and I think the other woman is the sole problem there. I sometimes now see in letters people who are like, obviously I know only my husband was married to me. He's the only person I should mm. feel angry about. If I experience any anger at the other woman, it's like somehow not feminist or something. Right. And it's just like everything you describe here seems pretty reasonable. Uh, you seem very clear on where like the primary pain and and betrayal was. You, you seem clear that that was your husband. You're not suggesting you're going to go like, you know, try to fight her in the parking lot. So I think just the fact that you're like, yeah, the idea of seeing the woman that my husband cheated on me with on a regular basis and having to be professional with her feels really painful. That's super reasonable. Yeah. Nothing about that strikes me as like, uh oh, you better get yourself right. Like, yeah, I get it.
1: Yeah, totally. And also to your point about um, distribution of culpability, this person, it wasn't like a a drunken one-night thing. It was a year that they were in this affair together. There's no way that this woman didn't catch on at some point that this man had a family or a wife or she probably might even have known who this other person was. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. You can't entirely let that other person off the hook. I think everybody is involved in this together. And I wonder if maybe part of the reason that there's still sort of this you know, concern coming up isn't that there's still some weakness in that foundation of trust. A year-long affair is a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, year-long affair and, like, all the stuff that your husband said, you know, I do want to take you at your word when you say that you two have eventually worked through it. And, like, I assume that you don't just mean, like, time passed and he said, I'm sorry one time, but you two actually worked through, like, the profound pain Mm -hmm. um, that his betrayal caused you um so assuming that all of that has happened i think the obvious next thing to do here is just talk to your husband um hopefully this is one of those things where you're both aware like this isn't necessarily something we want to like talk about every morning the second we wake up but it's not like um the forbidden wound no one may discuss because mm-hmm. to remember the affair is to like reinvite the pain of the affair back into our lives because that um, kind of tentativeness suggests that we don't really feel like it's healed. So yeah. I, I think even if you're worried that talking about it would invite back everything else um, – I, I don't I don't think you would be bringing it up in a way that's like I'm holding this over your head forever like this is a very real consequence of a decision that he made and you once again have to deal with it so I, you know you don't have to bring that up in a way that's like you piece of shit I'll never forgive you but I, I, I do think it's really fair to say I'm in a really difficult position right now I'm not yet sure how I want to handle this I need your support a- a- and to just talk through like what are our options Um mm-hmm. Up to and including, um, would one of us want to look for a different job? Would I want to, like, just give her a very, very wide berth and be, like, the bare minimum of civil, but also, like, figure out, like, I might need to take, like, a little vacation um, or, or figure out other ways to kind of, like maybe go back into therapy for a little while to to kind of deal with um, the feelings that come up from seeing her on a regular basis. Maybe you will find that you need to talk to HR. I, I don't know that that's a very good idea, but I think it's important to discuss it as a possibility and to think like, what would I want out of that situation? If I believe it's impossible for me to work and be civil and professional with this person, it would probably be better to talk about that with HR first rather than like have a blowout a blow-up, rather, in the break room. Yeah. I, I'm not married to that idea, though. Like, I'm not sure that I think that's the right call.
1: Yeah. Do you have a strong sense there? Yeah, so there's, like, two things that I'm thinking about as you're talking. The first is to your point about, you know, discussing with the husband. I feel like this, in a way, even though it seems like an invasion, as she calls it, of her home again, one could also look at it as an opportunity, really, to, like, continue to grow and build the work, uh, build on the work that her and her husband have been doing the last four years. As you said, let's assume that it's more than just like time passed. I said, I'm sorry, and it's over now. Let's, let's take them at their word that they have been actually really working on their marriage. I think that this presents a really good opportunity to kind of go to that next phase of communication together and really plan as a team how you're going to deal with what is an intrusion of a sort. Um, so I, I kind of want to invite the letter writer into this new possibility for them and their relationship that could make them much stronger. So that's the first thing that I'm thinking of. And then the second thing mm-hmm. I'm thinking is whether or not there is a universe in which she and the other woman could
0: have a conversation. Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, What kind of conversation are you envisioning? I'm very skeptical of this idea, but I want to hear it.
1: Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'm feeling my way through it. And it might be something as simple as just acknowledging each other's existence and the pain and complication that, you know, was brought into their universes by the action there. I'm not suggesting they should be best friends, but I also think short of quitting or you know, getting HR involved, which even you said, we're not sure that's maybe the best idea. Like, I wonder if there is a possibility for just an acknowledgement that there was pain and wrong done here. And let's agree to just kind of stay out of each other's way, rather than kind of playing hide and go seek in the office all the time.
0: Yeah, I I think my inclination would be to, like, set a very clear tone, which is just like, distant, Mm -hmm. politeness, like Mm -hmm. just polite enough that other people aren't like, wow, what's going on here? But no more than that. um, And hope that she is sensible enough to take that lead. If for whatever reason, it seemed like she wasn't to consider at that point saying something like. It, I, I want to be able to work together professionally for obvious personal reasons. I don't want any more conversation than is strictly necessary between the two of us. I hope you can respect that. Yeah. If at that point that's not working, if if she's – again, hopefully, like if, if I were in this woman's situation where I was like, oh man, the guy I cheated with I have to go work with now and his wife, I would be very like – thank you for ignoring me. I sure appreciate that. Let's all just move on with our lives. But if she's a real shit stirrer um, and if she's kind of like, let's see how wacky things can get at that point. Yeah. I think I would, I I would want to have HR in my back pocket and I would want to make sure that I was not being put in a situation where like every day I was being um, provoked.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's kind of what I mean by like, just kind of Drawing that line straight away because then the letter writer can feel like she set her boundaries and they will be respected. And if they're not respected, she has these other options. I feel like there's still some kind of tentativeness in the language here. There's almost like she's not sure she's entitled to feel the anger that she feels. I think she is. And I think a really healthy expression of that is exactly saying this is my line and you don't cross it. Whether that's done kind of a sort of non-verbally or you know, with just kind of a nod and a look, you can communicate in a lot of ways. But, you know, that to me seems a more healthy and productive way than, you know, hiding behind <laughs> cubicles and hoping
0: the person kind of never runs into you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I I can also like really understand if at a certain point you were just like, it will not be possible for me to have like a friendly, professional working relationship with the woman my husband had an affair with for yeah. over a year Yeah, that is i would get that um and mm-hmm. and even if she behaved really like reasonably and appropriately, and you were just still like i can't do this for the sake of my own marriage and my well-being like i need to find a different division or a different floor or a different company and at that point you know i would advise you to use your own best judgment about whether or not you wanted to take that up with your boss and ask for a transfer or whether it would just seem like the best decision to get a job elsewhere and and I would also encourage you at that point to share with your husband like the the frustration and the pain of like this is now having professional consequences on me um yeah and and yeah that's just all going to be difficult and I'm sorry I wish that just the two of you working through the last couple of years meant that that was it and the world could also accommodate the the healing that you two have been able to find together but unfortunately actions sometimes have consequences even after like a personal relationship has been mended and that can sometimes complicate that mending Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i would just i I would anticipate the need for additional patience uh honesty healing speaking your truth as they say (laughs) um, and, and making sure that your husband is being present for you again not that he needs to like crawl across a field of nettles every morning because you're good and he's bad but like He should be thinking of ways to support you through this right now.
1: Totally. um, Is what he ought to be doing. The last thing I want to say about it is a point that you brought up earlier, which was um, if you can, talk to a therapist about this. It's complicated, it's not something that you just need to kind of puzzle out on your own. And it might, like you said, be just too heavy to bring on a daily basis. Into the relationship, so if you can find some kind of neutral support system, just to help you sort your thoughts out, I think that would go a long
0: way in making this uh, resolution possible. Okay, next letter is just like a nice, such a wonderful.
1: Oh, I love this one. <laughs> Do I get to read this one? No, you. Um, read this I think one. you.
0: I, I like. It might be my turn, but I want this for you. Please <laughs> go ahead and read this. It's <laughs> Thank you. This so is awesome. Mwah. Okay,
1: so the subject is. How can I make amends after insulting my close friend's very ugly used chair? Dear Prudence, one of my friends, A, has a piece of furniture I loathe. She got for free from a friend who got it out of a dumpster. It's stained Ripped and has a red flowery pattern. When we lived together, I hated even looking at that chair. She was just happy to have a free piece of furniture. When we lived together, I knew I had no right to tell her what furniture to own. She knew I didn't love the chair and it wasn't a big deal. We've since moved into separate apartments, and A kept the dumpster chair in her new apartment. We're nearing our mid-20s, and I think it's time to put a little more effort into our decor. I know I'm being horribly judgmental over furniture choices, but this chair is just something else. When discussing furniture with my current housemate, B, I stupidly brought up the chair A owned. I told her how crazy it was that my previous roommate kept this chair. When A came over for a girl's night, B said, without knowing who A was, Oh, did the letter writer tell you about this chair? I quickly chimed in with, Oh, that's A's chair, and tried to play it off. The conversation moved on, and in the morning, B apologized for bringing it up. But now A knows I dissed her to my current housemate. I feel terribly guilty for probably hurting her feelings. How can I properly apologize to A?
0: <laughs> I just. Letter writer, you're yeah. a very sweet person. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that this is what is keeping you up at night. It just talks to how very considerate and tender you are and about how probably disgusting that chair is. <laughs> and somebody needed to tell A anyway.
0: Yeah. You are – I think it is totally fine for you to say, I fucking hate this chair. <laughs> um I don't like this chair. If a friend of mine had this chair, while I wouldn't spend every day reminding them of how I felt about it, I would definitely be like, I think this is a super gross chair. Yeah. And uh, please, please, please allow me to get you any other chair.
1: Yes. And as a recovering germaphobe, I want to give you full and free license to lean on the dumpster part and not the red flowery part. I think that's a pretty <laughs> good case to make.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's also just like you don't say anything about how your like A was like – um, like A didn't like flinch or panic in the moment. But I I just feel like um this is a totally appropriate thing for friends to disagree about. It is fine for you to not like the chair i think maybe you leaned a little bit too hard in the direction of not saying anything because you were so worried about disrespecting her right to bring home trash um, <laughs> that you like didn't communicate maybe even just like lightly in the moment like hey that chair's fucking gross Can yeah you please at least like bleach it before we bring it into the house um like there's a, there's a way i think to lightheartedly acknowledge that you think it is gross that doesn't then turn into i'm gonna give you shit about this chair every day for the rest of your life yeah. so you know, if you if you really wanted to, I suppose you could say something the next time you saw A that was just like, I guess the secret's out. I really hate the <laughs> chair. I, I know it brings you joy, but I just I, I, I tell you what, I'm gonna be very happy the day you finally replace it. Please give me a call when you do, and yes. I will go to the, you know, even a secondhand furniture store. Yeah. Um, I will go with you. Um if it helps, I don't know, maybe watch the episode of Frasier where he accidentally throws his dad's chair Oh, my chair God, I away. love. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's different because that's like an elderly man who now has to like depend upon other caregivers. That's not true. Not wanting to give up this chair that has a connection to like his dead wife. Yeah, so it's not- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And definitely Frasier. Frasier is a snooty snob. And this person is clearly just a loving friend who's very concerned that they've hurt someone's feelings
0: over garbage chair. Yeah, but again. It is super fine to insult a chair someone has gotten from the trash that is stained and ripped. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That sounds like – I worry that the chair is, like, all cushion. Do you know what I mean? Oh, my like, God. I can't even think about I was picturing it. picturing a wooden chair with a stained seat, and now I'm worried that it's, like, just crawling with bed bombs. I'm just feeling itchy thinking about it, but – I think, Prudy,
1: like your advice, uh, that little piece that you said could be really fun is to, you know, turn around dumpster chair into an opportunity to have a fun afternoon vintage shopping with my friend.
0: Yeah. And if she doesn't, whatever, you still don't have to like the chair. Yeah. Um, I, I do not think that this meets the, the like, level of being horribly judgmental. I hear a lot from people who are horribly judgmental. They do not sound like you. Yeah. Definitely. You are appropriately judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> about, like, and I'm not even trying to knock all, like, attempts to reduce waste here. Um, I, I'm not, but yeah, fabric, ripped, stained chairs out of the trash. I do draw a line there. I do think that it is good to let some trash remain trash. mm mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I, I um... Casaleigh, thank you so much. Yeah, Danny, I feel
1: like we've solved half of
0: all the world's problems today. I don't know about you, but. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I certainly feel integrally, developmentally coached. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that's how you felt at the end of all your sessions, but I'm definitely like ready to go.
1: I'm just smiling from ear to ear, and that's usually how I know something good has happened.
0: Aw, yeah. well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, to anyone listening, if any of your problems resemble anything like these, take a portable snack like a protein bar with you if you're in a rough place. Uh, and don't get cushioned items out of the trash. You know, wood, metal, that's one thing. You can clean that pretty easily. But mm-hmm. let cushions go. Yeah, Gross. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show, head to Slate.com slash DearPrudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to Slate.com slash PrudyPod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I I do think there's a limit to how much healing you can do on your own while remaining in a relationship with somebody else who apparently doesn't think they did anything wrong. So, my question for you would be Does my mom have any idea how angry I am with her about some of the things that she has done to me? Does my mom have any idea? of how much her own baggage from her relationship with her mom and her feelings about her body um, has affected me. And if she doesn't, do I want to tell her a little bit? To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudypod